This podcast is a presentation of UCTV.TV, University of California Television. Like what you learn? Help others discover UCTV podcasts by leaving a comment or rating in iTunes. Welcome. My name is Steve Panelat. I'm the director of the Palliative Care Program. It's nice to see many of you back. Uh, and as I said, those of you who are here for the first time, it's nice to see you here. Um, we have a very special uh, session. T- I guess they're all special, but we have a nice uh, and special session tonight looking at advanced care planning. Our speaker is Rebecca Sudori. Rebecca is an associate professor of medicine here at UCSF in the Department of Medicine. Rebecca is based at the VA in the Division of Geriatrics and has uh, been during her career, focused on advanced care planning and in trying to promote advanced care planning and in trying to make it um, understandable and easy for people to do and has done really a tremendous amount of very innovative and creative work in that regard, some of which she'll share with you tonight. And then as we talked about last week, we will have the opportunity uh, later today to divide up into small groups to meet with um, different members of our staff. Uh, And if you'd like to complete your own advanced directive, and we even have a notary public here if you'd like to go ahead and get it notarized tonight. So... There you go. It's the real thing. So it's not just playing. Ah, yeah. That upped the stakes a bit, didn't it? Yeah, okay. No worries. All right. Well, that's interesting. So um, without further ado, please join me in welcoming uh, Dr. Sidori. I was afraid you were all going to start running for the door after that one. Um, All right, so we're doing something a little bit different with this session because normally I stand up here and I just talk at people for 45 minutes or an hour, but we really wanted to make this more interactive. And as Steve said, we'll be breaking up into small groups so you really get a chance to sort of talk about these issues and ask some questions that maybe you wouldn't get to ask in a larger group. Um, So I think one of the things, you know, Steve said I've done a lot of work in advanced care planning And the reason that I've done a lot of work in this area is because there's a lot of things about medicine that makes me angry. And one of the things that makes me angry is that I feel that there are two major deficits when we're talking about serious illness and making complex medical decisions. And one of those things is that people are not empowered to be able to speak up for themselves, to be able to know what is important to them, and to be able to make informed decisions based on what's most important to them. And on the flip side, there are families that are taking care of them and having to make these decisions, and I've been in that situation. It's incredibly difficult. So I'll just ask the audience, how many of you have had to make very serious or scary medical decisions for yourself? So many of you. How many of you have been in a situation where you've had to make medical decisions for someone else? Wow. Yeah, and I often say, you know, as a palliative care physician, I often say that that's probably one of the toughest jobs that somebody has to do. And so I've spent a lot of time thinking about how can we do this better so that when we're making decisions for ourselves or that we have to make decisions for someone else, we're a little bit more prepared. So what we're going to do tonight, so I'm going to spend a little bit of time defining advanced care planning just for about the next 10 minutes. We're going to talk a little bit about advanced directives and tell you a little bit about the PREPARE website. And then again, this is a little bit different. I'm going to stop talking, and I'm going to walk you through a couple of the the steps in the PREPARE website, some videos, and then we're going to break out into the small groups. So everyone, I hope, in your packet when you came in 
has an advanced directive, this prepare booklet, and the prepare pamphlet. Um, so what is advanced care planning? Does anybody want to take a stab at what advanced care planning is? Any brave soul? Great. So if people didn't hear that, you said resuscitation. And if you're in a situation where you can't decide for yourself, you've sort of written out what you want the medical staff to do. Right. Great. Anyone else? Great. And that was a plan to take the burden off of people who might have to make decisions for you. Um, So as Steve knows, um, Steve's been on a panel with me, an international panel, actually, to try to come up with a definition of advanced care planning. And I thought it was going to be easy, but actually even in our field, there's some back and forth about this. But we've come to somewhat of of a definition, which is that it's a process that supports adults at any age and any stage of illness in understanding and sharing their personal values and goals for future medical care and decision-making. So you'll notice process is underlined because it's not a one-time event. It is a process that happens over time. And as somebody was saying in the audience, it also helps people choose and prepare another trusted person or group of people to make medical decisions in the event the person can no longer make their own decisions. So that's what it is. But what's the goal? Why do we even do this? And the goal is to make sure that the medical care that you get essentially is the medical care that you want and that we can prepare people ahead of time and their loved ones to make informed choices basically on what's most important to you. Um, So I'm going to talk a little bit about advanced directives, and this says Night of the Living Will. Um, And for a long time, these have been sort of in, um, you know, they've been... Focus really on legal forms, a sort of a legal, they call transactional process, where you check off a couple of boxes, you read a bunch of legal language, and you sign them. Um, and we were finding that people were actually having a hard time figuring out what these forms meant, and were actually marking down things that they didn't really understand, which is sort of a problem. And many of these forms sort of, I don't know if you can see that, but looked like this, with very teeny tiny font and legal language. So we spent um, some time, again, you have this in your packet, creating this easier-to-read advanced directive. It's available for free. It's in 10 different languages. You can get it here. You can get it on the mini medical school website and here as well. Um, But I think the question in, in, in terms of my research, are advanced directives enough? So if you fill out this form, does that solve all of the problems? And I can tell you as a palliative care physician, I can go to somebody's bedside in the ICU and have a family conference. And there could be someone who completed an advanced directive five years ago, two years ago. And the surrogate decision maker, the family members are there sort of looking at me like a deer in headlights because they didn't know that their name was written on that form and they have absolutely no idea what to do. And I have other families who have no documentation at all, but can say, you know what, we've been talking about this for 20 years, and I feel very confident I know what to do for my loved one. And there's a quote from one of our focus groups that I think kind of sums up why just a form in and of itself is not enough. This says, we got the DNR or do not resuscitate in writing, but in making the decisions, which there were many, that was just one, because the first decision was to put him in a nursing home, We were married 30 years, and I could no longer take care of him. 
Then the second decision was whether to put him on a feeding tube because he had stopped eating and I wasn't ready to let him go. And I think like you were talking about how advanced care planning has mostly been about do you want CPR or not, but you can see that people and their families have to make many decisions over time. And it'd be great if we had advanced care planning could sort of be broadened to help people with those decisions. I think one of the other things is that when we just focus on the forms, they focus on treatment. But what matters most to people is not the treatment, but how they want to live, right? So it's not the breathing machine or CPR or surgery, which I call sort of the cart, putting this cart before the horse, but how your life will be after the treatment and how you want to live. And that is the horse. And I'm hoping that we'll have some time for you guys to think about that because I think that helps sort of figure out what's most important to you so you can tell that to your loved ones. So in that sense, advanced care planning should prepare people with skills to identify what is most important and how they want to live. And this may change over time. To communicate or talk about this with loved ones and your medical providers and then to make informed decisions based on what's most important to you over time. So in order to try to help people do that, we created this website called Prepare. And again, you have the little Prepare pamphlet. We're going to go over that tonight. But Prepare has five steps. So one is choose a medical decision maker. Two, decide what matters most in life. Three, choose flexibility for your decision maker. Four, tell others about your wishes. And five, ask doctors the right questions. What this does, and uh, we don't have time to go through it right now, but as you go through the website, it actually asks you preferences about your wishes and goals in life, and it actually creates your own tailored document about your wishes and goals. And it also creates something that you can bring to your medical provider. Um, so we're going to go over step one um, of the website and step two. Um, and if you turn to your booklets, um, when we go over step one in your booklet, it's going to ask you some questions, and you have an opportunity to kind of write down some of your thoughts. And in step two, pages four through six of your booklet, we'll go over those. And again, it'll ask you some questions. So let's see if I can figure this out. All right, so I'm going to start um, in step one. For step one, I'm going to sort of control it and go through the website. And for step two, I'm just going to play it like a movie. Step one, choose a medical decision maker. Can you hear that? Click the next button to move on. Why choose a medical decision maker? Because of accidents or illness, three out of four people will be unable to make some or all of their own medical decisions at the end of life. If this happens, doctors need to know who can make decisions for you. A medical decision maker is someone who can make medical decisions for you only if you are too sick to make your own decisions. But you can ask this person to start making decisions for you whenever you want, even now. Choose a medical decision maker ahead of time. Click the video below. 
It shows an example of a life or death situation. Your situation may be different. Um, we don't have time for this video, but maybe it's a little teaser, so you can go to the website on your own. Um, but we'll skip ahead. Choose a medical decision maker. A medical decision maker can be a family member or friend or group of people with one person who will speak to the doctors for the group. If you are unable to make your own decisions, your decision maker may need to talk to your doctors and say yes or no to medical treatments for you or decide where you get medical care such as a nursing home or hospital. A good medical decision maker is someone who is over age 18, can talk to you about your wishes, is not afraid to ask doctors questions, and will respect your wishes even if they are different from their own. If you are not ready to choose a decision maker, it is okay if you do not know anyone who could be a medical decision maker. It is also okay if you are not ready to choose. Click the video below to see how Prepare can help you. Again, we don't have time to show this video, but again, just to normalize that we find that about 20% of people say that they're not ready to choose someone, and that's okay because maybe you'll find somebody later or make a different decision. Click the pictures to see who these people chose as their decision maker. <coughs> Cynthia chose her husband. Jorge. We'll show a couple examples here. We have a very big family, and we always make decisions together. I couldn't ask just one person, so I asked my sister and my nieces to work together to make decisions for me as a group. But my family doesn't always agree. Because my niece Vera lives the closest to me and knows me best, I asked her to be the spokesperson, the one who speaks to the doctors for the whole group, and the one who has the final say. Click the pic. So there's just other examples here. So Cynthia chose her husband. Helen may choose her neighbor. John chose his son to make all his decisions. And I'll show this last video here. Ken is not ready to choose. I'm kind of a loner. I have been all my life. So I don't have any friends or family that I trust to make medical decisions for me. I guess this could change. But for now, I think I'll focus more on deciding what matters most in my life and thinking about my medical wishes so I can share them with my doctors. I'll come back and choose a medical decision maker if it seems right for me in the future. Can you think of any family or friends who may be able to make medical decisions for you if you become too sick to make your own decisions? Yes, or maybe, or no. Click an answer above to move on. So this is on your page three of your booklet. So this is the very first question. And so if you know of someone, you can mark that down and put their name down. So I'll give you guys a minute to do that. All right, we'll move on here. How to ask someone to be your decision maker. Do not assume someone will know that you want them to be your medical decision maker. You have to ask them. 
Here are some tips that may help. Choose a quiet place and time to bring it up. Make sure the person understands what you're asking them to do. And if the person feels uneasy, you may want to give them time to think about it and ask them again later. Some people may say no. If so, you may need to think of someone else. How to ask someone to be your decision maker. Click the pictures to see the videos. Your situation may be different. First, James asks his wife Cynthia to make decisions only if he is too sick to make his own decisions. Then, John asks his son David to make all of his decisions for him. We're going to watch just this first video. My doctor talked to me about how it's important to choose someone to help me make my medical decisions if I can't make them on my own. You're not sick or anything, right? No, no, I'm okay. This is to prepare for the future. The future? Yes. The doctor said that sometimes people get so sick they can't make their own medical decisions. Okay. Well, if at some point I can't make medical decisions on my own, would you be willing to work with my doctors to help make them? Well, I think so. You know me, and you know what's important to me. I trust you. Would you be willing to do this? Yes. Of course I would. Does it make sense what I'm asking you to do? Yes. You want me to be the person the doctors can turn to to help make medical decisions for you if you can't. I'm so glad we were able to talk about this. Thank you, sweetheart. That wasn't easy, but it went much better than I expected. I made sure to talk to my wife when we had some time alone together, and I also made sure she understood what I was asking her to do. I just feel so much better now that my wife has agreed to be my medical decision maker. When do you want someone to make medical decisions for you? I only want someone to make medical decisions for me if I become too sick to make my own decisions. Or, I want someone else to make medical decisions for me now, even when I can make my own decisions. Or, I am not sure. Click an answer above to move on. So that's the second question on your page three there. So somebody was asking what happens if somebody says they don't want to make their own medical decisions, would somebody go in and ask that person first? And I was saying that that is a whole lecture unto itself um, and that in San Francisco, things are we're very diverse communities. And again, we find about 20% of people report that they don't want to make their own medical decisions. They don't want to know any medical information and they want their families to make that, that those decisions for them. And that's why we actually put in this other option. Um, we heard that directly from the patients that we spoke with. So, you know, when that happens, I can tell you that I always ask patients if they want to know medical information and if they want to make their decisions, and then work with family if they say that they don't. Um, that's a very complex question that I might actually save for the small groups, um, because... You hope that when somebody's making this determination, they're competent to do that. 
if they're making it ahead of time when they're still competent, then it sort of carries through even when they lose competence. But maybe we'll save some of those questions for the small groups. Okay, so I'm going to move on to step two. Like I said, we'll have plenty of time in the small groups to really ask some of the questions. I want to move now. I'm going to show you the video. So prepare. You can click through it like I just did. You can also watch it like a movie, which is what I'm going to do here for step two. Step two, decide what matters most in life. Deciding what matters most in your life can help you get the medical care that is right for you. Your doctors and decision maker need to know what's really important to you. This information can help you make your own medical decisions and can help us make sure you get the care that matches your wishes. Let me give you two examples of what I mean. One of my patients, Mr. Nelson, had very bad cancer. The next treatment he could have tried may have extended his life a few months, but would have made him very sick and he might have needed to spend some time in the hospital. Mr. Nelson told me that being at home with his family was the most important thing to him. He did not want to stay in the hospital. Knowing this, we gave him another treatment that was not as strong against the cancer, but allowed him to stay at home. When he could no longer make his own decisions, his family continued to honor his wishes by keeping him comfortable at home. Mrs. Santos was another patient of mine. She was in a similar situation with very bad cancer, but she told me that what was most important to her was to live long enough to see her daughter graduate, even if it meant having to be in the hospital for a while and being uncomfortable. Knowing this, Mrs. Santos and I talked about how there were no guarantees. It might work, it might not work, but that we would move forward with a strong cancer treatment with the hope that we could help her reach her goal. So, what is most important in your life? Talk about it with your doctors and decision makers. It's the best way to make sure you get the medical care that is right for you. How to decide what matters most in life. Over the next few minutes, we will ask you five questions. These five questions will help you decide what matters most in your life and for your medical care. Knowing what is most important in life can help you decide on medical care that is right for you. What is most important in your life? Family or friends? Religion? Hobbies? Pets? Living on your own? Caring for yourself? Not being a burden on your family? Something else? Here are other people's stories about what is most important in life. Jorge wants to see his niece get married. The doctors have offered me a different kind of treatment that won't cure my heart failure, but might help me feel a little bit better. Well, my niece is getting married in a few months, and this is the most important thing in my life right now. I know there are no guarantees, and I might not make it to the wedding. But for now, this is the goal I am striving for. My wish to see my niece get married is helping me make my medical decisions. Helen has strong religious beliefs. 
I have strong religious beliefs and they guide my medical decisions. For instance, it's against my beliefs to get a blood transfusion. I told my medical decision maker and my doctor that no matter what, I never want one, even if the doctor is recommending it. Ken wants to be independent. Living on my own and being independent is the most important thing to me. Look, I know there may come a time when I might not be able to care for myself and may need to go to a nursing home. I get that. But being independent is so important to me that I'll accept any treatment from the doctors if they think it may keep me going on my own, even surgery. But if their treatments will not give me the strength to keep me living on my own, then no, I wouldn't want that. Cynthia does not want to burden family. The most important thing to me is not to be a burden to my family. If I were ever in a situation where I could not take care of myself, like if my memory was gone or I couldn't wake up from a coma and my family had to take care of me, well, I couldn't live like that. It would be the worst thing in the world to me, even though my family may think differently. My family and my doctor know that my desire not to burden the family is my biggest concern and would affect the kind of medical care I'd want. Question number two. What experience have you had with serious illness? Have you had your own experience with serious illness? Do you remember someone close to you who was very sick or dying? Do you remember seeing someone on TV who was very sick or dying? Think about what went well, what did not go well, and why. If you were in these situations, what would you want for yourself? You may change your mind about how you feel over time. Take a moment to think about this. Question number three. Can you imagine health situations that would be worse than death? Do you feel that life is always worth living no matter what serious illness, disability, or pain you are experiencing? Or are there certain health experiences that would make your life not worth living, such as never being able to wake up from a coma or get out of bed, never being able to talk to your family or friends, never being able to live on your own, having to be kept alive on machines, or being in pain. You may change your mind about how you feel over time. Take a moment to think about this. Question number four. How do you balance quality of life with medical care? Sometimes illness and the treatments used to try to help people live longer can cause pain, side effects, and the inability to care for yourself. If you had serious illness, what would be important to you? A. You would want treatments to try to live as long as possible. You would not want to stop treatment even if you were in pain, could not feed or care for yourself, or needed machines to live. Or B, 
You would want to try treatments for a period of time, but you would not want to suffer. If after a period of time the treatments did not help or you were suffering, you would want to stop. C. You would want to focus on your quality of life and being comfortable, even if it meant having a shorter life. Or D. You are not sure. Take a moment to think about this. Question number five. Have you changed your mind about what is important to you over time? Here is one example. Your situation may be different. Because of all my medical problems, I was getting too weak to take care of myself. The doctors thought it would be best for me to live in a nursing home. I had always said that having to live in a nursing home would be the worst thing ever, even worse than dying. No way would I go. Well, I had to go. And now that I'm here, it's not so bad. They have activities and lots of extra help for my breathing problems. It's funny, I never thought I would change my mind about this, but I did. And everything has turned out okay. Let's review the five questions. Question one What is most important in your life? Family and friends? Religion? Living on your own? Question two. What experiences have you had with serious illness or death? Question three. Can you imagine health experiences worse than death? Question four. Is it most important to you to A. Try to live as long as possible even with pain or disability? B. Try treatments for a period of time, but stop if you are suffering? Or C. Focus on quality of life and comfort, even if your life is shorter? And question five, have you changed your mind about what matters most in your life over time? Every situation is different. Ask these questions again when an important medical decision needs to be made. Here is an example of people thinking through the five questions. Your situation may be different. My doctor gave us some questions to think about, you know, to help us decide what is important in life and, and how that might affect our medical decisions. First, we were asked to think about what makes our life worth living. Well, that was an easy one for me. Living as long as I can with my husband and my family. For me, what makes my life worth living is, is being able to talk with my family and friends, especially my grandkids. If I were so sick that I couldn't do that, well, then my life would not be worth living. I know this. Next, we were supposed to think about past experiences with serious illnesses mm -hmm. we have had or have watched other people go right. through, like our friends or family or even someone on TV. Actually, my husband and I just watched a news story about a woman who couldn't wake up from a coma. We were then supposed to imagine what it would be like if what it would be like to be in a similar situation like this woman. What would make our lives not worth living? If I were in a coma like that woman and I couldn't wake up to talk to my family, 
I know my life would not be worth living. If I were ever in that type of situation, I, I certainly wouldn't want it to drag out. My quality of life would be the most important thing to me at this point. Not how long I have to live or how many treatments the doctors have to offer. I had the opposite reaction to the woman's situation. Trying to live, to see my grandkids grow up is so important to me that I realized I would want to at least try a short trial of treatment. Not forever, but for a little while to see if I might get better. I would even be willing to try a breathing machine or a feeding tube if the doctors think it might help me. See, this is where my wife and I differ. <laughs> uh, before I got really sick, it would have been important for me to try all sorts of medical treatments to try to live as long as possible. But after being so sick these past few months, I've changed my mind. If I were in that poor woman's situation, the most important thing for me would to be comfortable and not in pain. I do feel differently. For me, it's okay to live through some hard situations, even some pain, for the chance of getting better and maybe living a little bit longer. But you never know. Over time, you might change your mind, just like I did. <laughs> yes, I might. But for now... I think we both learned a lot about what each of us feels is most important for our medical care. I agree. You are finished with step two. You can now move on to step three. But we won't. <laughs> okay, so we literally have about two minutes, and then we're going to break up into our small groups where I hope, again, that you'll have a chance to ask all of your individual questions. And if people are interested, we can do a little bit of the advanced care planning and maybe even some of the advanced directive. So I'll take maybe one or two questions before we break up. So that's a good question. So uh, the question that was raised was that a lot of the um, examples that were given were about end of life, but are we looking at something broader here? And I think we're looking at something broader here. I wasn't able to show you all of the examples, just sort of some of them. And I really think of advanced care planning, the most important thing is figuring out what's most important to you and how you want to live so you can make the best decisions for yourself now and in the future. And so that you can tell people that are close to you if you end up at the end of your life, and you've been talking about this for the last 10 years, that people will really know who you are and what's important to you so they can help make better medical decisions. So I really see it as something for now and basically throughout the course of your life. That's a great question. Thank you. Uh, where's our lawyer? Um, so we actually we did a study because every single state has their own advanced directive law. It's crazy. Some of those states have what they call reciprocity, and they'll take any other you know, advanced directive. And some of them, few of them, but some of them don't. So, um, you know, there are things on the books that if a doctor feels that they, uh, let's put it this way, it's sort of up to the doctor in those states. It's a long discussion, um, and again, maybe we can talk about it a little bit more in the small groups, or you can contact me later, but it's not a totally straightforward answer for every state. 
You've been listening to a podcast by University of California Television. For more information about this program or UCTV, visit us online at uctv.tv.